Good morning. I think it's summertime. It's starting to feel like summertime. I think school's out for a lot of us, so life is changing, travel is happening, and here we go. Um, Let's see. I am heading towards John 9. If you want to begin to turn there, scroll there, however you're getting there. Um, And I have, I think I have two questions. quick little things I want to say as we head that way. Small groups are gathering. How many of you guys jumped in a small group the last couple weeks? Come on. That's been really good. We've also got small groups gathering at our um, hub office space, which is off Burnt, uh, I think it's Burnt Mill Drive. Um, It's on our website. Uh, We won't rely on me to tell you the right information there. Um, But we meet from 6.30 to 8, and that's been just a really special time. So feel free to come out to there on Thursday nights. Um, And if you're a small group leader, there's questions and a guide um, at the table out, the welcome table, um, that comes right out of our message today. Secondly, uh, next week we're doing baptisms right here. There'll be a little tank right there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Come on. That was a good clap. You can do that. We can make noise in church. Um, If you uh, have given your life to Jesus um, and you want to be baptized, come down here and see Carol afterwards. Carol, raise your hand for me. She's my executive assistant and knows more about the church than I do. Um, And if you're online and want to get baptized, maybe you've never come in person, but say something in the the, uh, notes or email us at admin at saltboxchurch.com and we will get you set up. That will happen actually during worship um, next week. So it'll be a a special time. Um, I think that's it. Let's see, Uh, we're in John 9, and we are, uh, I don't know what the right word, meandering, courageously charging through the gospel of John. It's one of my favorite gospels. Um, And so I've skipped a few verses in the latter half of eight. We may go back there at some point, but we're going to pick up on um, John chapter 9. And this is fascinating um, because it's Jesus healing a man born blind. And I think I'd probably set our table uh, for this with with a couple of thoughts this morning. Um, I'm finding that less and less uh, do I read the Bible. Did the pastor say that? What I'm discovering is more and more I'm beginning to allow the Lord Jesus read me in the Bible. You hear me? So in other words, I'm not just reading like words on a page, but actually what's happening inside of me, it's like I think I'm being transformed to some degree, but I'm gazing into the scripture and I'm finding the very face and person of the Lord Jesus. And then as I, it seems that as I find the face and person of the Lord Jesus, not only in the word, but then in my life, in the here and now, I'm also finding myself and then his will and way in my life. So what I want you to invite you to do with me this morning and in your own, wherever you are in your own Jesus journey, even if you've never begun your Jesus journey, you can start today and go, Lord Jesus, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, would you begin to speak to me in and through your word? And then just leave it. Let him speak. Because guess what? He's God. You're not. I'm not. And that means that when you begin to ask something like that, back off and let him do what only he can do. It's beautiful. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to read the word, attempt to find ourselves in it this morning. And um, I, I think what I would also set the table with is we're going to read about a guy who's been uh, born blind. Um, so he's been blind his entire life. Um, we're going to read about a group of Pharisees. Um, we're going to read about some neighbors and friends who've seen this blind guy. Uh, we're going to read about this guy's parents. Um, and then we're going to read about the Lord Jesus. And I want to invite you um, to find yourself um, in this passage. 
Okay, I'm always doing that, but I want to invite you to find yourself in it. And I think it's very fair that at different points in our journey, um, we all take different spots. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, I'll give you an example for me. That was, it was so sweet. Um, I had no idea what set they were going to lead with today, but it was so sweet that Stacy ended with that, um, uh, as the deer panteth for the water. I don't know what that's called. Um, maybe it's called as the deer panteth for the water. Who knows? Um, but what's really special in my house is when I put our kids to bed, I sing. And I have this one note, uh, you know. And, uh, but I'll always ask um, uh, Amelia right now, ask Amelia, what, what do you want to sing? And she always says, as the deer, she, the deer song. She's, sing the deer song, Dada. Sing the deer song. What's amazing is this uh, John 9, I am, I am just totally convinced, if you skip ahead to verse 25, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of 9. Verse 25 says, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I... Now what's that sound like? A song. What song? Amazing Grace. So this guy named John Newton wrote this song called Amazing Grace. And with my oldest daughter, Eve, I actually used to sing. I used to hold her when she was a baby. And I used to sing Amazing Grace to her. I still sing it to Amelia. But what's interesting is at my darkest spot, I went through a really difficult dark time from age 19 to about 26. And at my most difficult time. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was like, you know, following the Lord. And I was singing Amazing Grace um, to my oldest Eve. She's about to turn 17. And uh, it, it is, it's profound <laughs> because uh, it wasn't shortly thereafter that God reached into a very difficult situation in which I was. And he helped me see. So as we journey through this passage this morning, I actually want you uh, to see if you can find yourself um, in it, and then let's let the Holy Spirit sift our hearts. Let, let's let him speak to us in it and through it. Does that sound good? Okay. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to see? Let's say that together. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? It's always good to open your heart and position your heart before the Lord and just leave it. Why? Because he's God and he wants to speak. So prepare a place in your mind, in your heart, and then let him speak. Okay, here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, who's he? Jesus, that's right. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, now you know, we got to pause here. Okay, Jesus is going along, and a, a total transparency here. There's something that the Holy Spirit um, has laid his hand on in my heart on this, because what I see in Jesus as a God who is available, A weakness in my life is I am an aggressive multitasker. Really good at doing like seven things at once. But that means I'm not always available. And I don't know where this is actually going, but I just asked the Lord and left it in my five-year journal. But Lord, there's a, a lack of hurriedness uh, that I don't always have and I want to have. Would you speak to me on it? And I just left it there. So when it comes back up, I'll share it with you. 
You thought I was going to give you the punchline, didn't you? I'm not. I am inviting you into an authentic, deep, transformative Jesus journey. And I want you to actually begin to step back and go, oh my goodness, he's real. And he's in the Bible and he's here now. And if I give my life to him, he lives in me and he wants to journey with me. And so we're going to attempt to let this thing come alive. Okay. So his disciples asked him, they're walking along, remember, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I can't stand this verse. I just do not like it. Um, and, but, but a pervasive lie that existed um, in ancient uh, Israel, and it actually still exists today in America, is that we, we make this connection point between the sin that we've done or our parents have done and the suffering that happens in our lives. Okay? Now, let's, let's just step back from this and, and think about it from a big perspective for a second. Did sin enter the world at the fall? Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Yes. Is suffering um, authored by suffering, difficulty, pain, sin, is it authored by uh, Satan, the father of darkness? Yes. Okay. Uh, does a holy, righteous God allow it? Yes. Uh, but that does not mean that anything that we're suffering, we can connect a strong line to some sin that we've done or not done. And if we're totally honest, we could probably go around the room and when something tragic happens to us, it wouldn't surprise me if many of us have this little thing that pops up in the back of our mind and goes, it's because I did X, Y, Z 22 years ago. Come on, you ever done that? Be honest with me. All right, let me, let me dispel and just say that Scripture um, vehemently refuses to universalize that connection point, okay? Does sin cause suffering? Yes. Uh, does sin cause suffering in my spouse and my kids and my family? Yes. But is just because I'm suffering an indicator that I'm living in some sort of sin? No. Now, what's even interesting, and I'm not going to go to any particular passage, but the New Testament, it's also in the Old Testament, but the New Testament is replete with this idea that you actually um, may be in the way, in the way of the Lord Jesus, in the Jesus journey. You may be walking with him powerfully if you're suffering. So, Michael, are you saying if I'm not suffering, I might not be in the way? ask. It's worth asking. But what happens from, from the entirety of the New Testament is suffering is often an indicator that the Lord's doing something in your life and the enemy or the world or whoever is bringing difficulty against you. So some of you are suffering today and you need to go, okay. Because here's the thing. I don't think what we need is to be rescued always from our immediate suffering. I think what we need to know is our Father's in it with us that our Father's not forsaken us, that he's walking with us, that there's purpose in it, and that rock solid, for sure, take it to the bank, he can use that suffering both for our good and his glory. And if I know that, if my family knows that, when we're journeying through things, we are largely okay. We have bad days too, though. Okay, let's keep going. All right, uh, so I love Jesus' response here, verse three. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. I mean, he straight rebuffs it, doesn't he? Boom, no, neither, you're wrong, dispel it. I mean, he just knocks this thing down, flat on its can. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
So now Jesus is saying that this guy was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Talking about his father. Night is coming. Feels a little like we're living at night right now, doesn't it? When no one can work. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, this is interesting. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Okay, let's pause for just a minute. If, I, if y'all came to church today, and I decided to walk out and bring with me a little patch of dirt. <laughs> no, no, go there a minute. And I decided to spit in some dirt and make some mud and smear it on your face. <laughs> this idea that Jesus was ever... Uh, He was always meek. I don't think he was ever mild. I don't think he ever obeyed all the expectations, assumptions, and external rules that were applied to him. He does the opposite thing that everyone, I mean, he is walking along and he sees someone who's been born blind. So everyone is uh, possibly feeling sorry for this person. And it could be said that what he's doing looks almost like, I mean, that's surly. Yes, Y'all leave church and never come back. I am never going to see that weird bald man again. He spit in the mud and put it on somebody. That's serious. Okay. So a couple things here. Um, uh, Let's keep going and then I'll pause because I think this is important. Verse 7. Go. uh, He told him, the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam. The best I can tell, this is probably two-thirds to three-quarters of a mile. Um, so the blind guy has to grope down the road a good bit. So hold that and we'll come back to it. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had uh, formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Make note, he's never seen Jesus. What did he do? He heard him, but he's never... So even if Jesus was standing right in front of him, not talking, guess what? He wouldn't know it. They brought, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, verse 14, here we go. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the? Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. This Jesus. I love this Jesus. I am so in love with this Jesus. I mean, he, oh, so good. Okay, let's start. Um, 
Okay, so what Jesus, why, let's just wrestle here a minute. Why would Jesus do this on the Sabbath? Okay, now, and we ought to go back a few, I'm not even going to read it, but if we go back a few chapters, there was another person who was healed on the? Y'all, there's seven days in the week. You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of days that he could have done this healing. Like, think about that a second. So Jesus is intentionally healing on the? Okay, this is a, um, you, you must translate, understand, and see this as a vehement, not passive-aggressive, not even passive at all, but a vehement, active, full-on, straight-line attack at the, the uh, rule of um, the Pharisees and the religious people have over the people in Israel. Jesus chooses to heal on the Sabbath because he knows everybody's going to get angry. The question is Why? So there's at least three, this is, uh, some of this is me, um, but there's at least three ways that by healing this man, he violates the Sabbath. So in the Old Testament, you have God saying, um, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's, it's rest on that day, refrain from work. It's a, it's a big, broad statement. And then the Pharisees and the religious people come and they make all these rules. Well, this is work and tying a knot is work and feeding your oxen is work and this is work. And, you know, I mean, there's craziness. I think I've I've told this before, but there's certain knots that are defined as work, other knots that are defined as not work. So if you had to lower a um, bucket into a well to get some water, you had to use a woman's girdle because the woman's girdle knot wasn't an illegal knot, but other knots were. Now, why am I telling you this? This is important. Man, humans, the Pharisees had created such rigorous rules and regulations that people were dying and breaking under the weight of it. And not only were they dying and breaking under the weight of it, they were going, we can't keep all these crazy rules anyway, so we're going to give up on this God and simply walk away. So back to this. There's at least three ways that Jesus violates the Sabbath on this particular day. First of all, he makes a, a, a salve out of spit and mud. I can't believe they consider this a salve, but it was a salve. He made an ointment, if you will, and he put it on the guy's eyes. So that was work. So absolutely illegal. So he violates these guys' rules uh, by making a salve, number one. Second thing, he told the man to travel almost three quarters of a mile. Guess what? Again, it's work. It's total violation of their rules and regulations. The third thing he says was go and wash. Like what Jesus set up um, for this man to even do was that he would violate almost everything. And it's very, very important. I got to cut like a fine line for you here. Did Jesus violate anything that was set up in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy? No. What did he violate? the Pharisees' interpretations of the Old Testament law. Does that make sense? So he's violating, not God, he's violating this, these humans' rules and expectations. And when Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke, some of you guys probably don't even know what a yoke is. That's like that wooden thing that would go on the back of an oxen and the oxen would pull the cart. But Jesus goes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's saying there is he's actually contrasting the heavy yoke that these Pharisees and religious people have put on the people. And he's going, they're gonna break you. I've come to set you free. 
Okay? So Jesus comes in in this head-on, like aggressive, vehement, active, I'm going to attack the rules and laws of the Pharisees. Okay, so the, the question that I think we have to begin to ask then is what is Jesus's primary point? Why did he do this? Did he just want to be mean to the religious guys? Should be asked. Was he just upset because they hurt some people's feelings? Okay, let's dig into this. Lord, give us revelation here. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was set up as a day to heal. It was set up as a day to recover. It was set up as a day to rest and abide in relationship with Yahweh God. Make sense? God's desire is that we as people, all people everywhere, would experience his healing, his restoration, and his redemption. His primary desire is not judgment, although that's contrary to some way certain Christians think. But ultimately, if people refuse his um, rest, his grace, his healing, his restoration, he, he will have to judge. So what he is setting up here is, uh, it's, a, it's a dual or even tripart uh, invitation. So he's inviting um, his disciples into a new Sabbath rest. He's inviting the blind man to see and enter into a new Sabbath rest. He's inviting the Pharisees into a new Sabbath rest. He's inviting the nation of Israel into a new Sabbath rest. And he's inviting all of us for all time into a new Sabbath rest. So if the Sabbath is a gift for people, and even it's, it's actually a picture of the way we're called to live. From? The Sabbath is a day of rest. What Jesus is doing by violating the Sabbath and man's rules made on the Sabbath is he is saying... I am inviting you, my beloved, to live from a place of rest. Every day is the Sabbath. So it's this transformational thing because we as Christians, I still find it in my own walk. There's moments where I'm like, oh, oh, I gotta do this or I gotta do that, I gotta perform. I started with this even idea of like hurriedness or like internal like push or anxiety. And Jesus actually, when he comes, he is inviting us to see with the eyes of the kingdom, see with the eyes of eternity, see with the eyes of the kingdom of God. And then he's inviting us by breaking the traditions of, of humans on the Sabbath, He's inviting us to enter into his Sabbath rest. There's a whole number of passages in Hebrews about this that is just powerful if you want to look at it. But Jesus, um, he did not abolish the Sabbath. He came actually to fulfill it, and he's called us each into that place of rest. Have you ever, um, I'm trying to think how to even articulate this. Have you ever talked to someone who is like harried, um, hurried mentally? You ever done that? Um, and they're just like, you know, and, and you know they're not listening to you. You know what I'm saying? H have you ever uh, sat down in your own thoughts? Like I actually, after I felt the Holy Spirit begin to convict me on this, I sat on my back porch the other day. Uh, Abby was out somewhere. I got both kids, kids to bed, younger ones. And then I just walked out on the back porch and I listened to the frogs. And I went, 
Lord, there's some harriedness in me. When we find another human and we're interacting with them and they're harried and they're busy and they're cluttered and they're pushed, you know it. Come on. When you're like that, you know it. Jesus is actually inviting you into this internal state of rest. I actually loved Stacy's worship today because there's something about Stacy's worship today that emanated a place of rest. There's even something about the way we're attempting to do church with this. It's just simple. It's just simple. It's not impressive, but it's from an authentic relationship with Jesus. There's something transformative. If you're, if you're not a believer here, you're listening, um, there is this place where the Lord Jesus wants you to live your life from a position of Sabbath rest every day. If you're a Christian here and you've been in, in, in a, known Jesus for a long time and you're significantly churched, this is going to be really hard for you. Because you go, well, well, if we live from rest, nothing will ever get done. Okay, maybe. Let's keep, let's keep going and we'll come back to that. Okay. Before we keep going in verse, um, I guess it's verse 15, but I want you to look back and notice that there's a big, um, uh, you know, I guess it's a, it's a um, fight uh, or a disagreement over whether or not this guy was the guy. You just have to wonder, like um, others said, no, he only looks like him. You know, some claim that this was the blind guy, but he himself is standing there and he's insisting, I am the man. Like, I, I wonder what in the world happened that he looks so different. You know, maybe he saw himself in the reflection for the first time and he did his hair back or, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but I'm like, what is, how, how there's all this, the, the entire fuss that's about to unfurl hinges upon whether or not this was actually the blind guy. There's this big old fuss over it. So let's keep going. And and I guess, um, well, let's read 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Can you imagine this? Anybody, any doctors in the house? Physicians? Can you imagine if somebody came in and said, He put mud on me. I mean, seriously, look at this. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him, so they've sought this guy out, and part of their job was legitimately to track down people like this and find out if it was real. So they sought him out, and they they, um, asked him how it was he'd received his sight. He might have felt really silly at this moment, but he put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Notice the division that's immediately uh, beginning to happen here. Um, I think the other thing that I want to, as we, as we keep going uh, on verse 16, I want you to pause, and I want you to go back up to Jesus puts mud in the man's eyes. All right, so Jesus spits in the mud, makes a salve, puts it in the man's eyes, and then what's he say? What if the man didn't go? Come on, like, like roll that one a second in your heart. What if he didn't go? He just stayed blind. 
How easy would it have been for him to refuse just because what Jesus asked him to do seemed humanly silly? The other thing I want you to see here is uh, he made him go walk three quarters of a mile. I'm not being disrespectful, but imagine the cane. Like imagine, did he bump into some things? Probably. Did he fall on the way? Was it an instantaneous healing? What I'm sort of inviting you into is this is the Jesus who will move you to life, move you to healing, move you to Sabbath rest, move you to recovery, but there is often a journey and a process involved. Like we read this and we tend to like separate from it and think, well, he put some mud in his eyes and the guy was healed. No, he wasn't. First, the guy may have been embarrassed. Why did this guy put mud on my face? Second, the guy had to get up and walk three quarters of a mile and hobble and potentially fall and be more embarrassed because he's got mud on his face, right? And then he finally goes and he gets there and he washes. This is the Jesus who is inviting you. And I assure you there's things in your life today and in my life today where he has actively got his hand and gracious finger on in our lives and he is calling us into life and healing, but we may not be participating with him in the process, It's like, oh my goodness, Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to go wash and I refused. I think a rhetorical question worth asking and letting the Holy Spirit sift your own heart here is, Lord Jesus, is there anywhere where you've put mud on my eyes and asked me to take the next step and I'm refusing because I don't like it? The kingdom of God will never make sense to the human mind. And if you're unable and you spend your life trying to interpret Jesus, King Jesus, Yahweh God, this gracious, kind, loving, and beautiful Father, through just the eyes of your own mind and brain, you will not fully comprehend him. At some point, you actually have to take a a step and take a risk. What if I look foolish? What if it doesn't happen? Can you imagine the guy as he's hobbling along the road? I would have been thinking, what if this doesn't work? This is stupid. Come on. Like, go, we just don't think of people as being like normal. He didn't just get mud in his eyes and then roll on down and go wash and there wasn't any thoughts, feelings, or emotions for the three-quarter of a mile journey. How long do you think it took him to walk that? 15, 20 minutes, I don't know, an hour? Somebody gave him, a, who knows what, maybe even a couple of hours. So he's, he's in this process. But don't think for a minute that while he's in that process, the enemy isn't whispering into his ears, that guy Jesus is crazy. This is not gonna work. You are stupid. You have wanted to see your entire life and this is not gonna happen. It's not gonna change. You're gonna wash this mud out of your eyes and boom, you're not gonna be able to see a thing. Like go there and even think it and feel it and drink it and then apply it to your own situation. How often does God call us to something, purpose us towards something, send us on the journey to something and we stop because of the negative self-talk, the negative talk from others or the negative talk from the enemy. We are so susceptible. And I wanna even invite you like the man did to pursue, to, to, um, uh, be, uh, to pursue and follow through on the thing God has called you to do. Come on. Okay. I think it's probably important to note that why mud? Go back to Genesis 1. 
What were men, what was Adam created from? Mud, dust. When Jesus, we're not going to labor here, but we could for a long time. But when Jesus stepped out of heaven, he took on, okay, let's try this again. Yahweh God created Adam out of dust or mud. Okay. And then Eve was created out of Adam. Okay. So Adam and Eve were created from dust and mud. When Jesus stepped out of eternity past and eternity present into the here and now as this vulnerable little tiny baby that was born and laid in a manger, uh, when he stepped into that, he took on the likeness of mud. Our human frailty. The love of God, and I don't even have this one totally figured out, but I am convinced that the greatest love from eternity past, eternity present, eternity future is actually shucking your rights, your will, your way, and taking on weakness and sacrifice for another human. I don't think there's greater love anywhere. If you want to make a note, circle it, and then go, how does that apply to my marriage, my kids, my neighbors? Greater love than no man, has no man, or woman than this, than he that lays down his life, that leaves his kingdom in heaven and takes on human likeness in our weakness. It's amazing, this divine love. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, verse 16, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can I, a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. Now, so this is the second time they've sought out the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a now, there's a, um, there's a progression happening with this guy. First, he called Jesus a, anybody know? Verse 11, what did he call Jesus? A man. Ooh, we got a progression happening. Pharisees ask him a second time, what do you have to say about him? The man said he is a? Notice the Jesus journey this guy's on. Okay, verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19. Is this your son? So what happens here is they send for the guy's parents, so his parents come out. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Now, what's, uh, it, it's actually introduced later in the chapter, but what's being um, threatened here is anyone who aligns with Jesus in this moment is going to be excommunicated from the synagogue, from Jewish culture, from Jewish life, and is going to be left on their own. All right, let's go back. So they bring the parents in. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? Verse 20. We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. So they say yes, right? But then they take the safe way out. Here we go, verse 21. But how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Now, 
I've got a mom. And if my eyes were opened, she'd be asking so many questions. She would figure it. This guy's mom, I don't believe for a minute that they weren't going, what happened? How did this happen? Who did it? He spit in the mud. He made you walk three. What? This is absolutely crazy. And then they get called in in front of everybody and they take the easy way out and they go, but how, how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. You ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. I think one of the heartbreaks of this passage is verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, verse 23, he is of age. Ask him. How many times do we as people refuse to acknowledge Jesus and even refuse to access the blessing, I'm not talking financial there, but the blessing that God has for us in every area of our lives because we can't acknowledge Jesus before people. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, what are they saying there? When they say to the, so they call the, the blind guy in again. And when they say, give glory to God and tell the truth, that is a, it's an old school Jewish equivalent of us um, when we put our hands on the Bible and the court of law and say, tell the whole truth, uh, nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's what they're saying to him. So they're putting him under judicial oath right there. And they're saying, um, I lost my place. Thank you. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. So they've set this guy up to, to call Jesus a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Here it is. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Like, it is so good. He just like throws it in their face and he's going, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. It is absolutely amazing. This Jesus is real. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've already told you. I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, the guy calls him out on the rug. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all got that. I don't even have to explain it. Way to go. He totally called him out on the rug. I mean, it's so good. I love this guy's courage. If there's something that I could like give you a little drop of this morning, it's when you taste the amazing grace that is so sweet and you've been blind and now you can see, you don't care because it's like, he's real and he's good and he's taking us there and he'll take you there too. It is so good what happens. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple we are disciples of Moses. It, it, how did they know Moses and miss Jesus? That is so sad. If I sifted my own heart here for a second, was just frank with you guys. I'm so grateful that I'm 41 and I'm so grateful I wasn't a senior pastor before now because I spent way too much time trying to please people and missing King Jesus. Verse 26, nope, 
thank you. 29th, somebody's following. I'm grateful. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of, the eye, of opening the eyes of a, a man born blind. So this is the first case in all of Jewish history that they knew of where a man blind from birth, and it's really important that he's blind from birth because what if he had a temporary blindness from a disease? Or, or what if he developed a blindness because of a, you know, a virus or he got something in his eyes and then all of a sudden, two days later, he naturally could see again. But what this is saying is he was blind from birth, so it's absolutely impossible that this was just a natural event. This was a supernatural event. Yet he opened my eyes, verse 31. We know that, oh, I got that. To this he replied, you were steep, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, what are they admitting right there? You were steeped in sin at birth. What are they acknowledging? They're acknowledging something here. This is the guy that was the blind beggar. They are acknowledging, implicit in this statement, is we know that you were the blind beggar, and we know that you were steeped in sin at birth. That's why you were blind. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, what does that mean? They excommunicate him, like they throw him out of their society. Verse 35, Jesus heard, I love Jesus' heart here, and you've got to get this. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, when Jesus says son of man, without going into huge detail, he's referencing two things. He's referencing, number one, Daniel 7. You can contrast it later if you want. The second thing he's referencing is the Messiah in the 400 years from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew. There's 400 silent years. And the Messiah and all the human writings between those 400 silent years where it never, nobody ever wrote God said. They just wrote these kind of human things. But uh, everyone referred to the coming Messiah as the son of so when Jesus says the son of man, he's actually saying, I am the Jewish Messiah. Okay. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Now remember, he's never seen who? He's seeing him for the first time. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he what? Worshiped him. It's so good. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Um, implicit in the Old Testament is this revelation that when the Messiah comes, the blind will see. Um, and you could look at, if you want a couple cross references, you could look at Isaiah 61. Um, you could look at Isaiah 29, Luke 4. But the, so, so implicit here is when the Messiah comes, those who have been blind will be given sight. And so again, what Jesus is revealing is, I am the Jewish Messiah, and then he's taking it beyond that into, I am the Savior of the world. For judgment, I have come into the world, so the blind will see. And get this, though, and those who see will become... That's really scary. Verse 39 is like, oh my goodness. 
And I think if I could um, help you see, help us see something as a church, it's there's this loving Jesus that is even loving the Pharisees and the townspeople, but it's this like unrequited love. They are unable or choose not to respond. They're blind because of their tradition. They're blind because of their pride. They're blind because of their self-righteousness. They're blind because of their false interpretations of the Bible. Have you and I sat in those spots? If you don't know you have, just say, Jesus, show me. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him saying this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains I want to open something here for us as we come to a close. The Pharisees were a group of men who revered the scriptures. They studied the scriptures. Uh, They were zealous for like, um, you know, pious religious behavior and practices, prayer, fasting. They were frequently in worship. And they gave sacrificially to God's work yet they became among the the primary or principal instruments in the hands of Satan to destroy Jesus. Listen to me, church. What God is looking for is not certain external behaviors. He's looking for a heart. He is looking for a heart that it's choosing to see him. And I think what's a little scary is that people who are, who see but refuse this Jesus will become blind. So the Pharisees say, what? Are we blind too? And what's the answer? Yes. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Our only security against Phariseeism, if you will, is grace. Let me open this up for a minute because there's a couple interesting things here. Perhaps that's the reason that God allows us as Christians to stumble from time to time so that we have an opportunity to rediscover our need for it. Grace. Worship team, I'm starting to wrap up. You guys can come on out. Martin Luther, the great reformist in the 1500s, said, there's no cure for spiritual pride. Martin Luther wrote this. There's no cure for spiritual pride like a little overeating, oversleeping, and overdrinking. I'd probably add some things like overshopping, overspending. How about this? Over saving over caffeining over watching over scrolling over pinting so let's ask some rhetorical questions and let's make some application here are we all born blind yes Yes, we're all born blind through the fall and through our original father, Adam. 
we inherited that corrupt nature. Rhetorical question. Is it possible you're struggling with undiscerned spiritual pride? Lord, would you show us? Another rhetorical question here. Some of you might look at me and say, Michael, if you preach radical grace like this, people might go bonkers and take advantage of it. Romans actually says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. It's, it's kingdom, guys. It's not human. We could talk about a Christian who's been stuck in a religious environment and suddenly finds some freedom. And there's a pendulum swing. We could go back and quote Martin Luther. <laughs> and I just say it's okay because if you begin to taste of this supernatural grace of Jesus, this radical grace of Jesus that takes blind people and helps them see that same Jesus, even if their pendulum swings and they're over-whatevering, he will capture the heart and he will change and he will transform. And we as people don't have to force it on each other. What if we let the Lord Jesus do what he does, which is transform the human heart? We tend to look at this passage and we think that when we give our life to Jesus is the moment where we used to be blind and we can now see. My friend, Tim Livingston, who's a trustee here, he just wrote a blog. You could probably look it up, but his blog is about the progressive invitation of God to see more. And if I have a prayer for those of us who are in Christ today is that we could see more. As we end this, I'd ask you to ask yourself, Maybe you're like the parents. You're refusing to acknowledge Jesus out of fear of what people are going to say or do. Maybe they'll reject you. You might be here like the beggar and you recognize I'm blind or I've been in Jesus, I'm saved, but there's areas where I'm still blind. You may be here and you might be going, oh my goodness, I thought I knew this Jesus, but I don't understand living my life from Sabbath rest. That's new. You might be here struggling with a little Pharisee inside of you, refusing to believe the work of Jesus when it confronts you. Here's what I want to say. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. People who can see help others see. People who've become found help others get found. People who've tasted life help others find life. People who live in freedom help others find that same freedom. This is church. This is Jesus. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would be a group of people who once was blind, but now we see. Lord, I pray as we go from this place that you'd allow us to see who you are as Father, gracious, loving, kind, beautiful Father. That ye, we would allow, you would allow us to see you as the one who goes before and the one who comes behind. 
Father, I pray that as you resurrect us, giving us kingdom eyes, that we would also turn aside and help other people who are blind. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts and lives supernaturally to heal, to restore. Father, we love you and we worship you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.